Good morning, Cornerstone Church. I'm Pastor Catherine Shane, friends of Pastors Greg and Amanda's, and it is such a pleasure to be with you this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that even in our homes that we can gather with one another, that the church continues to thrive during this time of separation. And Lord Jesus, we just... Um, I just know that people are going through so much uncertainty right now, whether it be in their personal lives, whether it's in their church life, whether it's in the city and the nation, Father, it feels like so much uncertainty. And so we give you that uncertainty. We know that you are faithful, just like we sung before. And we know that you are strong, that you have all things in your hands. So we praise you, Lord God. We give you this morning's message with the words that are spoken and the words that are heard. May it glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we are concluding the Simple Nine sermon series. We have had the opportunity to examine what it looks like to walk with the Spirit. Bear with me a little bit. As we look at who, the, who are the people that Paul is writing to in this letter. In Acts 13, Paul is on his first missionary journey. He and Barnabas go through and travel through the province or territory of Galatia. There he preaches to several cities. There's Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So in Antioch, when Paul preaches, there are some jealous Jewish leaders that come and stir up trouble for them, and they are expelled out of the city. So they travel on and they go to Iconium, and in Iconium, they preach the gospel boldly, and the Holy Spirit works through them with signs and wonders. But there too, the unbelieving Jews stir up trouble. They stir up the Gentiles in the city as well, and the, those that oppose Paul plot to stone him to death. So he and Barnabas flee that city and travel to Lystra. There, as Paul is boldly preaching the gospel, there is a man who has been lame from birth, and he's listening to Paul's message. And Paul sees in his face, he sees faith that this man has. And so following the example of Jesus, Paul commands the lame man to stand up. And the lame man stands up and he is healed. And a great uproar comes up in this city for the Lyconians believe that Paul and Barnabas are really the Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, that have come to visit them. And so they're all excited and they're trying to worship Paul and Barnabas. And as soon as Paul and Barnabas figure out what's going on, they tear their clothes in grief and they preach, no, there is only one true God to worship. And then those jealous Jewish leaders that have stirred up a trouble in Antioch and in Iconium, they come to Lystra and they convince the Lycarians that they are trying to be deceived, that Paul and Barnabas are trying to deceive them. 
And so they stone him, they stone Paul, they carry his body outside the city and leave him for dead. And scripture has this wonderful way of saying, Paul just simply gets up, returns back into the city, and he and Barnabas go on to Derby. And there in Derby, Paul preaches the gospel and many come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then Paul senses it's time for him to return home. And so he goes back through each of those cities and encourages the believers there. So these are the believers that Paul is writing to. They are, he is writing to a whole territory um, where these churches that he has planted exist. And in between the time that he's planted those churches and the writing of the letter, someone has come in and corrupted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing to them to remind them who they are and how they are to live. You see, these believers were experiencing racial division, religious and church division, political division, socioeconomic division, and oppression for their faith. But in the midst of that, Paul is calling them to live in a different way. Read with me the Apostle Paul's words. We are going to start in Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus crucify the flesh and with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. In the previous weeks, we have examined love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. Today, we're going to take a closer look at self-control. So what exactly is self-control? 
In Paul's time, the Greek word for self-control meant the mastery of one's own desires and impulses. It was typically in reference to sensual desires. It was having control over our response to our physical and mental temptations. When we look at the list of the works of the flesh, we find that self-control is the opposite of everything listed. It is our ability to say no to the flesh and temptation. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to say no to the flesh and yes to God. We see that lived out perfectly in the life of Jesus. In Matthew 4, Jesus has spent 40 days in the wilderness. And at the end of that time, the devil comes and tempts him. The first temptation is Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, and so he's hungry. And so the devil says, turn these stones into bread. But Jesus says, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The next, he takes him to the high temple walls and he says, throw yourself down and have the angels come and rescue you. You see, he was attempting Jesus to prove God's care and to prove his own identity. And Jesus responds again, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil tempts Jesus a third time with power and a position, but Jesus responds, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus showed us what it was like to live with self-control in his life. And that is why the author of Hebrews states in chapter two, verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. For each of us, temptation looks different. For some, it may be sexual temptation, like pornography. For others, it could be overeating or overdrinking. And for others, temptation looks like overspending. Some of us have a hard time controlling what we say, like gossiping, or simply having the urge to say, I told you so, in a disagreement rather than resisting it because it's the most loving thing to do. Our lives begin to reflect or produce the fruit described in Galatians when we are walking in the Spirit. This is how our lives are characterized. And yet it is important to remember that we are not able to accomplish this on our own, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? Well, again, we need to look to Jesus as our example. And first of all, we see him rooted in God's word. 
In Matthew 4, which we just went through, while being tempted, Jesus used scripture to combat his temptation. Jesus also spent a lot of time in prayer. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus going away to a solitary place so that he could have time with his heavenly Father. He stayed in communion. And so to walk in the Spirit means to spend time in prayer. It also means to submit to the Spirit's work in our lives. It could mean for some of us to find healing from addiction or abuse. Matthew 9 shows Jesus encountering a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus not only heals her physically, but he also heals her communally. He brings her back into community. In, Matthew, or in Mark 5, Jesus heals a man possessed by a legion of demons. Again, we find God's healing work being done. To submit to the Spirit's work in our lives may look like confessing of sins and receiving God's forgiveness. John 8, Jesus told the woman who was brought before him that was caught in adultery, he said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. And in Mark 2, when some men bring a paralyzed man before Jesus, Jesus not only heals him physically, but also heals him spiritually. And he says to him, your sins are forgiven. Submitting to the Spirit's work may be acting in obedience. In Luke 22, right before Jesus is handed over to the Jewish leaders, he knows what is coming. He knows how hard it's going to be. And he's praying in the garden. And he says that he's praying, the scripture says he's praying so earnestly that drops of blood are dripping off his forehead. And Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Even though he had to go through something so terrible, Jesus was willing to do the Father's will. Walking with the Spirit may also look like extending forgiveness to others. In Luke 23, Jesus, being completely innocent of all sin, is dying a criminal's death on a cross. And as he's dying, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We too need to follow Jesus' example. Today, we have faced division politically, socioeconomically, and sometimes within our own faith communities. We are in the midst of uncertainty in different areas of our lives. And Paul's message to the Galatians is a message for us. Self-control is one of the several characteristics we will experience in our lives when we walk in the Spirit. Yet it is important to remember, like Jesus, the Apostle Paul emphasizes love. 
At the beginning of the Galatians 5 passage that we read earlier, Paul reminds us to serve one another humbly in love. And he says, for the entire law is fulfilled by keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Paul is echoing Jesus's words when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When we allow love for others to guide our thoughts, our words, and our actions, we will be walking in the Spirit and produce fruit of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the life that needs to be seen in today's world. And this is the life that we were called to live. For some of us, we are struggling to remain walking in the Spirit, and we need God's help. I want to take some time to pray for you if you're struggling right now. And maybe for you today, you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior, and you have never experienced the fruit of the Spirit in your life. God is inviting you into a relationship with Him so that you may experience the life He intended you to live. I would like to walk you through a prayer if you would like to invite Jesus into your life. Will you pray with me this morning? Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are strong. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you are loving. I thank you that you have a life for us that is so good and is so full. A life in which your energy and your love and your compassion is reflected through us. Lord God, I want to lift up each person that is listening this morning. I ask that they would sense your presence with them. I ask that if they are struggling in any area of their life, that you would first bring it to their attention. Give them the courage and the strength to do what you are calling them to do and to walk with them as they continue forward in their journey. Father, give them the strength that they need to walk in the Spirit, to be deeply rooted in Scripture, to be communing with you in prayer, and to, be, uh, to allow the Spirit to work in their lives. And Lord Jesus, I ask for those that are struggling this morning to walk with you, that you would strengthen them, bring encouragement, bring prayers to their lips. 
and allow them to experience your joy and your peace and your love, Lord God. And if there's anyone who would like to commit their lives to Jesus Christ, to ask Jesus to be their Savior, just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to have a relationship with you. I admit that I need you. I admit that I am not living life in a good way, and I need your forgiveness. Please forgive my sins. Come be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have made that decision today, I just encourage you to reach out to Pastor Greg or Amanda or somebody on the church staff and let them know. This is an exciting opportunity and an exciting step forward. And just know that when we choose to walk in the Spirit, our life is transformed and we get to be the people that God has called us to be. Thank you.